Hey Jeff. Hey Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I am doing all right too. Um, first and foremost, rest in peace to Fred the Godson. Yes. Um, Fred was somebody that we crossed paths with, uh, you know, here and there for the better part of the last decade. Um, I think we always revered him from afar. And the chances that we got to connect were uh, always nice, uh, especially when he knew exactly who we were. Yeah, well, because there were a lot of times where he thought that I was um, Adam from Double XL, right. formerly of Double XL, and so like I always appreciated him coming up to me like SOBs, and <laughs> um, but then we we cleared it up, you know, a couple years ago. Yeah, we we stopped by to see Arsonist from yeah. Heatmakers, and. Um, we got to be in the studio and hang out and listen to to new music and and in walks Fred the Godson and it was like oh yo just before we get out of here yeah I'm Jeff not you know and he Adam. was like yo and he left so hard and we got to honestly we got to talk about uh, his Funkmaster Flex freestyle so he had gone so this is two years ago he had gone uh, and done Flex and ripped it and people can go check that out on YouTube right now and I, I suggest you do because. There's such a difference uh, between anybody who goes up there and, and spits and tries again or cuts it, and you can tell where things are edited, and someone who does it in one take. Yeah. And Fred was uh, a genius. And you guys talked about that. You guys we talked did. about how he did it in one yeah, take. So we, so yeah, so we, we watched it together on the phone, and we talked about it, and, and it was it was a really cool moment to... You know, we, we love wordsmiths. We love uh, creative minds. And, and to be there and to really get into it with someone in person um, was really special. And I think if you listen to him on, you know, any feature that he did, any, any you know, original song that he did. But, uh, you know, I, I look back at the the joint he did with Jim Jones off yep. Jim Jones's album. There's a, there's a lot of songs out there that, that have been uh, played here today as we think about Fred. And uh, listen... Um, Love to his family, man. Uh, above, above, and beyond. Uh, that's that's number one. Yeah. But I think that um, there's there's no silver lining in all of this, and I, I I think that there just needs to be a baseline understanding that this can hit anybody. We know people who have gotten it who have recovered. Uh, we know relatives who have gotten it and not recovered. Um, and we know people who, uh, you know want to act like it's not happening it's out there it's real it's a problem it is taking lives and uh i was i was listening back to our episode with officially ice from who knows who knows how long ago a month right. ago maybe yeah and and he was like people aren't going to realize until they lose someone close to them or somebody that they look up to and i think that fred was both and um if you're out there and you love fred the godson do everyone a favor, not just yourself. Stay home. Stay safe. And um, and and with that, I think uh, we're looking forward to a really good episode today while we're all here. We got three great guests, Jeff. And we're starting off with... Salam Remy. Salam Remy. The legendary super producer. Yeah. Who we talk about like old New York shit with him. Yeah. We talk that, about that was Miami. Great. Yeah. We talk about Amy Winehouse. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to cover with a guy uh, that deserves an hour and a half just for himself yeah um, i mean the, the stuff that we really get into like yeah. the djs that he like oh man used to run around with it's great it's it's it, it took me back to like a moment that i never even lived <laughs> like it, 
it was so vivid and compelling. Like, I, I would listen to Salam Remy talk all day. Shout out to Salam Remy. And then, Jeff. We talked to Marlon Kraft. From Hell's Kitchen. Yes. I mean, of a different age. He is. Yeah, a different era. Different era. But, yeah. like, I love that he's so intentional. I love that he's so thoughtful in what he says. And just, like, a really smart driven kid and you know what maybe that's what we need right now and yep. moving forward so shout out to marlon craft and then we talk to director x yeah that's our man director x from uh toronto director x aka don't don't get me vexed is what he said uh in the intro to his full uh, episode that's right uh director x one of the great visionaries uh that we've had in this business um you know and that's that's a long 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 career from the sean paul stuff to the drake stuff to you know everything that you've seen has been visually basically based on him for the last 20 years so shout out to director x um and we talk about like conspiracy theories you know what it's it's just like his instagram live you know? I love it. I love it. It, <laughs> right. it takes me to a weird place. But Jeff, before we get into uh, this episode here today, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash it's the real. Yes. Go there. You can even go to Yahoo and just type in Patreon. <laughs> you can it's bing it. Real. Yeah, you can bing it. Yeah. You could uh you could ask Jeeves. If you if you guys believe in in us and the art that we bring on a daily basis, um, if you really rock with the energy that we're bringing to this day and age, if you want to support that, it's very easy. You can contribute like $2 or $3 a month. You can contribute as much as like, who knows? But it goes up. No, I know. Okay. I know how much you can. (laughs) $50,000 a month. I think that'll do it. We have different levels and we have give backs and we want to make this worth it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly, we have have shown that we have something good. We want to keep it going and... uh, with your help, we can make this happen. Patreon.com slash It's The Real. Jeff, let's get on the phone now with... Ask Jeeves. Salam Remy. Beep boop. Boop boop. Bing bong. Hello. Salam. What up? Hello. What's <laughs> happening? How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? We're, we're hanging in there. We're doing all right. Um, you're from Queens, New York, but you've been living in Miami, Florida for the longest time. And we were interested in what what drew you down there? Uh, what do you like about it these days? And uh, and, we, and then we want to talk about the future of Miami, considering everything that's going on. But but what drew you down there in the first place? Um, I came down here in 2001. So it was right after um, 9-11, actually. Mm-hmm. That's when I started the first project here. Um, on October 1st, 90, yeah, October 1st, 2001, I was supposed to start this artist from the UK named it's Dynamite's album in mm. New York, because that's where I was based, had my studios on 54th Street and everything else. And, you know, of course, when the Twin Towers fell on 9-11, her mother was like, no way you're sending my daughter to New York. So I'd had kind of a rough year that year. My mom passed, my granddad passed, my mm. dad was moving out of the country. So I decided to come out here or go you know, on vacation, basically. So I was going to go to Compass Point in Bahamas or there was a studio in Trinidad. And then I was like, you know what? What if something breaks? It's better off I'm in Miami, so then I'm getting tropical, but I'm still on the mainland of America. Yeah. And when we got here, I got a lot done. And I kind of never really left. I was eventually shifting. At first, I was going to get a place here, then go back and forth. And every time I would go back to New York, something would happen that just triggered, a, you know, this broke, that broke. And I was like, you know what? I can be here. And at the time, also, you know, a lot of the scene moved here. So I moved here. Uh, Pharrell, Missy, Timberlands, yep. Scott Storch was working at that time, Cool and Dre. Yeah. Then I was also working with Ricky Martin at the time. So I was working with a lot of Latin guys that were in town and, 
Ricky Martin and Santana, et cetera. And then on the reggae side, Dave Kelly and myself were both here. So it's like somebody could book a trip to New York and end up working with, you know, enough people of whatever it was. And it just, it was a good energy. And I found a creative base that actually uh, kept me working because it wasn't about just being in the studio in the middle of Manhattan. To well, actually make and what, I and what, what studio did you mostly work out of at that time? In New York, I had in, my own studio. But in or but in, in Florida, Miami. yeah. I um, actually I just set up my own space because I had like a big SSL studio and everything in New York, so I just set up my own space. So like the first Amy Winehouse album, and you know a lot of Ricky Martin and Gwen Stefani's first sessions after she got and stuff. It was all in my studio that I had uh, in downtown, like in the Venetia. And then sometimes I would mix at Circle House. Yeah. Until I ended up getting my own home studio set up. That pretty much, you know, is the same type of vibe. And do you buy into the idea of um, a certain atmosphere and um, environment uh, playing a part in music? As in, like, you know, people go to Paris to record, people go to L.A. to record. They get these different vibes in different cities. Do you feel that Miami really brings something special to the table? I think it was different. I mean, especially at that time, you know, as far as I was concerned, you know, I was a New Yorker. I wore Tim's or, you know, <laughs> Wait, whatever you wore Tim's in Miami? No, no, no. In Miami, <laughs> as far as my music, in two, prior to 2001, yeah, of course, yeah. I was like, I'm in New York. I'm hustling. I live in middle Manhattan. I lived in Midtown. I got a Scully on and a champion sweatshirt and Tim's every day. Like Super I, I New York. Like a, yeah. a, a construction worker, basically. You know? <laughs> and then when I was able to get outside and then be in relaxed weather in October and still getting the same authenticity in the music that I wanted to make. And, you know, like I made Made You Look in Miami, but it feels so BX. Very, very New York, yeah. So at the end, end of the day, you know, it was like, the difference of locale was there. The good thing about Miami at that time was it wasn't that expensive to get a flight and you can get an artist to focus. So if I said somebody come in for a week, it's like they can go to the beach all morning, they can relax, they can go party all night. But if a professional musician, if we work from noon to eight or nine o'clock, we're supposed to have more than enough good stuff done. And then they can live, you know, in the morning and the nighttime to kind of have stuff to talk about because the club atmosphere, the beach atmosphere, it gives a lot of time for people to reflect and while out. For sure. Yeah. Is uh, are, what's what's your schedule when it comes to like working? Are you somebody who likes to work in the morning? Are you somebody who is more like a night guy? Like, and who's an artist that that matches your schedule like completely? Um, I'm an early riser. Since I moved to Florida, um. You know, especially now, like, my space is, like, a lot of fruit trees. It's kind of almost like people come to my space and they feel like they're in the Caribbean somewhere. Mm. Like, I'm in Jamaica. I'm in Barbados. Like, I'm just in another country. But for me, I like to wake up early. That's when I actually get all my ideas, you know, handle all my business, figure out what's together. And some artists like it in the daytime, but some people will start like later in the afternoon and then still be done by midnight or some people go overnight you know i have different atmospheres in my space i have a basement space and then i have an upstairs daylight space so it's kind of like you know mac wiles would like to be up all night so he would stay in the basement yeah because he didn't know what time it was and didn't want to know or certain people vibe out in that type of space and certain people you know CeeLo would like to be outside in the daytime and you still feel like you're at the beach but you're actually at my space so it kind of works both ways so considering the times that we're living in now, and I, and I know we're only about 40 days, a little over a month in, so it's hard to sort of like figure out what the future looks like, but a lot of isolation, a lot of people um, doing things obviously within their space, their four walls. Um, 
a big concern for us, especially in New York, was the loss of of creating and and culture, right? And like you right. can't you can't go to the club, you can't hear new music, you can't feel when a DJ drops a new record, right? Um, and and also like no one's outside creating. You're not getting music videos, you know, anywhere but inside your home. So it was really a, a big question for us as to how people can create moving forward. And since you're living in a town with so much culture, um, you know, Latin culture, hip hop, everything that goes on, people out in the beach, you know, people just cruising, whatever it is. How do you feel like Miami can rebound or can adapt and pivot to create something new out of this? Well, I think it's two sides to it. Um, One is that, you know, unfortunately, but then maybe fortunately, so many people in the last 20 years have become accustomed to email culture mm-hmm. when it comes to creating music. Hey, email me a pack. Yeah. What does that mean? It's <laughs> like, you know, basically it's a it's a digital beat tape. Yeah. And it's like, nah, just send me drums and chords and I'm gonna put together five different people's ideas and then have twelve producers on a song. Yeah. So it's a lot of the stuff has become so digital, which is not good about it, is that people don't really necessarily get produced vocally. It's kinda like whatever they come up with, the producer is kinda like just like I'm going to make this as loud as possible. So when it comes out of the email, it's going to be there. So you got a lot of one thing because of the way that it was also being created and then where it was being created for. It was a club, but it didn't give you enough quiet moments to really get quiet music in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, things that emotionally hit you. So I'm really big on having reactions and I was loving to work with artists. And that's really where I get my best. Like some people, it's just like my beats all sound the same. What I do is really bring the best out of an artist, and that's tougher to do when someone's not um, in the same space with you. I basically yeah. let somebody talk, and I can listen to the tone of you guys' voices and start making music around your voices that now make your voice. Like I say, the artist is the picture. I'm just a framer. Yeah. So I'm just framing whatever the thought is. So what's happening now is, you know, I've been reaching out, and I've actually been working more now because all the artists that you know 80% of their income and their time is spent on shows with 20% in the studio now they're all home like hey so I do need something (laughs) what am I gonna do and also all of this indecision I don't know what's happening you know unfortunately being a New Yorker I say condolences every day for the last month and a half Yeah, and you know just being in the space where you know it's this massive grief now it's the time like hey you know what I need some heartfelt music i need some heartfelt chords yeah i need something that's going to reflect differently i kind of been describing it as when hip-hop couldn't go out anymore so we had hip house mm-hmm. because of the uh stop the violence movement was based upon something that was like hip-hop clubs were shut down so then after that we ended up having wu-tang and tribe called quest mm-hmm. yeah on the hip-hop side because of the fact it was more head bobbers it was more it wasn't about our house shoot it's about I'm in my house with my boys and we got a cipher and that's what's going on. I feel like there's going to be more heartfelt music that comes out of this. And, you know, across all genres, I think it just works that way. You know, the, the music has always been a reflection of the times, the idea that people don't know what it is. And now you're going to see what folks are really made of because of the fact that it's, you know, black music has always been that of a bounce back from a strife. Yeah. yeah. Period. You know, you were just talking about... Um... New York clubs and how they might not uh, rebound in the same way and how you've seen this before. But what were, what were some clubs that really like shaped you? Like, I know that like you went to the supper club and I imagine you went to, um, 
you know, uh, Club Speed, like, you know, Cheetah Club, like all these places. Can you talk about like what New York club culture used to be like for you? Well, for me, I mean, I graduated high school in 89. So when I got out of high school, I went to live with my dad, who was managing Chunk Chill Out. Mm. And Funkmaster Flex and Frank Jugger were his right hand. Rest in peace to Frank Jugger. Exactly. So Frankie was go give me some Chinese food and Flex was driving. (laughs) And they lived in down the hall. Chuck lived down the hall from me at the time. So he was living in my building. So I would be everywhere with them. So anywhere that Chuck went to a label to pick up a record, if he's talking to MC Shan, if he's doing anything, I'm there as the other little tag along, 17 years old. And the same thing, my dad was in the business, so I got to see Molly Mall. I got, you know, I've been to Latin Quarters. I've been to different places. Mm-hmm. But what happened is once Flex started to come up, Flex and I were like A and B. So he knew that, you know, we were both carrying crates. So if he was on the air and those Fun Master Flex on the one and twos, I remember the first day that that was said, I was in the club with him. So when he was in the Muse, Home Base, all these different places, I'd be by the DJ booths. When he was in the Red Zone, Red Zone. When, Puff had, when Puff had the daddy's house, you yeah. know, for the first time with Jessica, first he was upstairs and then only Slick Rick would be in there because he didn't want to be in the crowd. And then we go downstairs <laughs> and then it's like, now Triple C's not here today, Flex, you got your shot. But I was in the booth watching him, you know, play the creator. No, play Cypress. Yo, Buster just walked in, played leaders. Mm. Like, I was watching the room, and I kind of have a DJ's mentality, um, even when I'm creating, because I got to see what the DJ saw, and I move like the DJs. And the same, I was working with Bobby Connors, because we were all at BLS. Mm. So I would be in the wild pitch parties with Bobby, or, you know, he'd be playing house music, but then go back to the reggae stuff, or whatever we were doing with Supercat. So I, I'm the early, like I say, 90 to... 94, 5, probably Tunnel. I didn't really do Club Speed. That's mm-hmm. a little, that's like the generation after me. Mm-hmm. But up until the Tunnel, from Home Base, the Muse, no, the Muse first, Home Base, the Tunnel, World, the Building, mm-hmm. Quandos, <laughs> um, what was Amanda? Car Wash, Amanda, uh, I forgot Amanda's last name, Party. Amanda Demi's Party. Mm-hmm. But all those different things, it was just like we saw who are now, you know, the Tribe Called Quest. You look over, you see Latifah at the world. You look over, you see Daylight. You saw everybody kind of coming up. Buckshot, when he had a book bag on the bed, <laughs> um, at home base. And then next thing you know, it was like how he looked and who got the props. And then two years later, it was like, yo, Buckshot's here. You got to move out the way. You know what I'm saying? And then Smith & Wesson comes in. So it was great because I was entrenched in the scene from the DJ booth. And at the radio, because then Flex was in the lump at the radio. So I was yeah. the radio seat, everything was there. But it was really a great thing because the record, like, put it in your mouth. Yeah. But Akinelli, who, yeah. you know, I went to grade school with or junior high school with. Yeah. At the end of the day, that wasn't going to break on the radio. No. It broke in the tunnel. <laughs> where, there was a, where there was a co-ed bathroom, the music was knocking. I remember Ak being like, yo, Long, you got to be here. Watch when it comes on, Big Cat, rest in peace. Yeah. Be like, yo, bring a finger, Big Cat. We're going to be here. We're going to get it going. And, you know, when she starts singing and then when Put It In Your Mouth came on, the whole tunnel felt like the air was like everybody was waving their hands. So it just it, it, it did more than the AC could do. It was like, oh, my gosh, look what's going on. This record's slow. It's, it has cusses all over it. It's, it's listed content. But at the end of the day, the club scene broke that record. Can you, you know what I'm saying? The club scene was actually able to do it. Can you talk about uh, a, a few DJs we're going to name now and, and what made them special? Because um, the first thing that I think of when I think of Big Cap is is not necessarily just New York music. I feel like he was like one of the guys who really brought like the South up to New York, you know, like breaking Little John records, things like that. Can, right. you, can you can you talk about Big Cap? Can you talk about what made DJ Clark Kent like 
really God's favorite DJ playing the Red Zone and, and different places like that. And and can you talk mm-hmm. about what makes Funk Flex, you know, just turn a room upside down? All right, so I saw with Cap. Cap, um, I really met when Flex was doing the Muse, more or less. I think he started coming around and doing different stuff. Before that, Flex had his boy from the Bronx named Kiddio that used to rock the mic with him sometimes. Frank Jugger wasn't even really touching the mic like that <laughs> at that time. He was just kind of watching and, you know, Frankie, go give me a fucking a Diet Coke. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, oh, come on, Flex. I remember just a quick Frank Jugger thing. I remember one time we were walking back to Hot 97. Frank was full of jokes. And we were coming from the McDonald's that was on Broadway and 42nd. Mm-hmm. And I was taking my time walking across the street. And it was supposed to have been about 1.30 in the, in the morning. And Frank looked at me and said, Salam, if you don't move, there's going to be a plaque in the street right there that says, <laughs> they lie, big Salam. He wasn't fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, that's the first thing I think of. Whenever I would see Frank, I'd be like, they lie, big Salam. He goes, he wasn't fast enough. That was our thing. But big Cap, um, rest in peace as well. Cap had that energy with his voice. You know, there's a lot of different people who, you know, would do the different mixtape thing. But if, you know, even if you listen to Flex's uh, radio talking loud voice, mm-hmm. what Frank Jigger was doing, a lot of that was Cap's energy. Mm. Cap had a almost like a nasally tone, big Cap, <laughs> supreme, bigger, bigger, big Cap. You know what I'm saying? It was like I actually put him on a Buckshot Funk remix I did for No Pain, No Gain because mm. he just had that certain tone. I used him on the beginning of Nasty. Cap just had a thing with him. And as a DJ... He was a cool DJ. You know, you would all the stuff with Biggie throwing water at him and being mm-hmm. mad. But Cap had the energy. Cap, Cap would get the stage ready for Biggie because he just sounded like this is what it needs to be. He was New York's answer to DJ Cool mm. or any of the go-go DJs, DJ Flex. Mm-hmm. He had, you know, yeah, pre the Little John stuff. He was definitely rocking with different things. But Cap's energy and his voice... There wasn't nothing better than that. And that's really what made the tunnel. Big mm. Cap Funk Flex. Mm-hmm. Flex really on the mic. Cap really holding that mic down. Flex, Flex really on the, on the DJ set. Yeah. Cap holding the mic down. And that was the thing. Clark <laughs> on another 10. Clark's time, you know, Red Zone Clark did somewhat with Kid Capri and stuff. But Clark's time when people really saw him in lights on another level was Powerhouse. Mm. Which was uh, Patrick Moxie, um, Patrick Moxie, who owns Ultra and used to own Payday. He had Payday, and then him and Jessica uh, Rosenblum yep. got together and did Powerhouse. And Powerhouse was on 26th Street. There was a club called The Building. It was 26th Street, and it was almost all glass. I feel like they might have had it in the movie. I don't know if it was in Juice or New Jack City. One of them they showed the inside of this club. Mm. But you almost felt like you were walking across like a factory with different tears to get across yeah yeah so where the dj booth was set in powerhouse that's where i saw clark glow up i know he'd been around and done different stuff and you know dj for day to day and everything else but that was the time where k capri and clark it was like k capri of course his span you know his stephanie mills records whatever else he would throw on but clark was the jam master J on steroids he really looked like a superhero Man. while he was doing what he was going to do and that's really what I could say with Clark, like it was a thing where you not only felt the music, but he did it with poise and the way he would look while he was doing it, the way his beard was falling and just his whole, <laughs> I felt like he always wore white or something. It was just the way it was coming across. It just looked like he was glowing. Like, did he just do that? Mm. Was that his real hands or was it like superhero hands? Was that a flash of lightning I saw? Like, I don't know what I just saw. That's how I felt when you were listening to him, DJ. And like I said, he did the Red Zone and did different stuff before he moved around. 
But really, the powerhouse, that was like, oh, snap, Clark Kent is here, and yeah. everybody better move. And uh, that was really his thing. And of course, he continues to do everything with the originals and absolutely. You know, went on to do many other things. But that's when I could say Clark had the city on lock on another level because that club, there was nothing touching it at that moment Yo, at all. Shouts to and the originals. Um, you know, they ESPN and Netflix have this new documentary that's about um, Michael Jordan and the Knicks in the 90s. I, I'm sorry, the, the Bulls. Bulls. Yeah, I, I have the Knicks on the brain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do not like the Bulls in the '90s, and so I'm not talking about the Bulls. But, um, but did did you ever see like Michael Jordan play? Did you ever like go to Knicks games? I imagine you're a Knicks fan. I was a Knicks fan. I am a next Knicks fan. Um, you know, I, I got heartbroken with the Knicks. You know, because we were going all the way there, like the yeah. Starks. You know, the Anthony Mason, the yep. Charles Oakley, the yeah. Patrick Ewing. Yeah. The energy of it, of taking it all the way to the hole. And then, you know, Lauren had a song on, had, had a line on a song said, the serpent plays tricks, runs game like the Knicks, gas you up to lose the championships. <laughs> oh. Oh. Like those mid-90s uh, heartbreaks right there. Yeah. I don't think I've ever recovered from them. And I always want the Knicks to be like, all right, cool, we can get the Knicks going. But it was just, you know, to see Starks dunk on Jordan yeah. and posterize him, it was just like, yes, Starks can do it. We can do it. <laughs> but when it came to crunch time, they didn't move military. And they moved like, oh, man, we lost it. And it just was like, uh, you know, Patrick, go sit on and eat rice on peas. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was almost like, what's going to happen right now? So that was the heartbreak. You know what I'm saying? Like, just figuring out what that other piece was going to be. Hold on. There was one more DJ you asked me about, too. Oh, Funk Flex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Flex. All right, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, definitely, I, I didn't actually see Michael Jordan play in person, but I definitely saw the, the energy of the Knicks, and I felt it with the city and everything else. Back so, to Flex quickly. Yeah. I just, just, just to roll that out, just because I know him more than anyone else, um, you know, inside out. And the thing is with Flex is two things. One is he's tenacious. Flex would get home. We would leave the tunnel or wherever at 4 a.m. He would drop me off. He would head up the West Side Highway. By 7 a.m., he's still up coming up with routines for the next week. Mm-hmm. He would always push ahead. Like, you know what? I'm going to play Michael Jackson. Da, 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 and then do this. What you think? All right, nah, I got the idea. I'm going to work on it some more. He would work, 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 and didn't care whatever else was happening. He would spend all of his own money. Funk Flex, the franchise, was born because when Hot 97 first was starting to be a hip-hop station, yep. he spent his own money to do commercials and to put his picture on buses. He did that. Like, spent 30, 40, 50 grand out of his own pocket. Man. So he would always stand ahead. He would do parties for free. And I think he's at that point now. Sometimes, like, you know what's up? Oh, you want to do that? Yeah, I want to DJ at a party for free because I want to be there in the spot, making sure I can push it forward. And, you know, the whole idea that someone in our age group wouldn't understand little TJ, I'm finding out about some of these younger artists because he's doing parties with them. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care about everybody saying, well, this is only what I like. Yes, I like Dust Beats. I love Apache. I love Breakbeats. But he's also watching what the kids are liking and what's coming up. And that's what keeps him on the edge where a lot of people get to a certain point, you know, usually in their 40s and they shun away whatever happened before what's happening right now he's going to embrace it and that's why he can't be stopped and i'm he i think somebody's going to try eventually but he's going to have to slow down for them to catch up because he'll just work all day yeah i think that that what gets lost a lot of the time is that flex really loves it you know i think that people can focus on 
the Western beef commercial or the, um, you know, or like the car show or like different other things beyond the music. But Flex really loves music. Yeah, that's it. He, he loves what he does. And then he loves being there. And he also wants to see what's happening. And, you know, he might not love an artist, but hold on, that record's working? Mm. No, I need to play it twice or three times because he's working for that reaction. And he will spend his all his money and he'll spend all his energy just to make sure that the impression was there. And, you know, when you aim to please at that level, it's hard for someone to get around you who's focused on a dime. How about um, another person that's very close to our heart and uh, really is, you know, the voice in New York, Angie Martinez? The same with Angie. You know what happened? You know, for me, it was like there was times when there was uh, Flex, Angie, and myself were the only people around many nights at Hot 7 when it first started. So I would be there kind of helping Flex do stuff. And then Angie was the board op at first. Mm-hmm. And then he used to be like, yo, Angie, crack the mic. Yo, what's up, Angie? You doing good? Because there's nobody else in the station. <laughs> and the overseer salon, Flex, and Angie. And when Angie's... Um, voice got on the mic and she was able to be that she also was the young puerto rican girl from new york who understood the culture and was at the station when they were still playing tka records or other things that were happening Mm. but she understood where it was headed and was a hip-hop head you know she could say you know you say it's working or lines out of beach street or something she's going (laughs) to say it back for you she could say all the words angie knows all the lyrics a native new yorker so (laughs) it's just like you know at the end of the day her um her attachment to the city was that of being one of the city. And then, you know, I would always tell her, like, everywhere I went around the country, post-Angie Martinez, there was a Cherry Martinez, there was a something Martinez. Yeah. <laughs> there was some other version of Angie Martinez that still exists. And, you know, that was something for, you know, before that, it was almost like we had Sue Simmons on television, and then there was a new mold. You know, there was a certain type of voice that had to sound like a grown woman on the radio. Yep. Well, Hot 97 was young hip-hop radio, and she seemed to have the voice of what was at that point. So for that, and then, you know, her ability to really be in the right places and taking those chances, running to go talk to Q- Tupac when, you know, it was a risky thing, or going to different places and really asking the questions that needed to be asked. Yeah. You know, that's kept her in a certain light, but also, you know, those times, the 90s, as far as where hip-hop went from being a New York thing to a worldwide business thing. Um, they, you know, Flex and Angie were definitely the voices and still are. Yeah. You know, just, I, I'm blessed to be able to say, you know, those two and as well as Bobby Condes are the three people that I was around like in the early 90s that still have their respective positions in New York radio. Yeah. Um, you know, I, w- I was doing a, some light research before we got on this call and I, I saw that you used to go to this one restaurant with Amy Winehouse down in Miami, um, and I was wondering what your best meal was with Amy Winehouse. Uh, in general, we used to do uh, – what would she get? I felt like she used to get the, the grilled shrimp with yellow rice mm. and plant. Um, this restaurant's called Garcia's. It's like on North River Drive. Not as a lot of fancy restaurants on that block, Sea Spice and other stuff. But Garcia's was the homegrown. You can go there. It's on the river. And my studio was not far away. And we would eat that maybe two or three times a week. So it was like our regular thing. Even like, you know, in 
was it in my bed? Yeah, in my bed was originally called Yellow Rice when we <laughs> first started it. Um, because of, you know, what am I going to call it? Just call it Yellow Rice till I figure out what's the word. <laughs> and, you know, that was part of it. But that was definitely part of, you know, our energy that we would be there all the time. And there was one waiter who always used to look at her like, hey, how you doing? And give her the extra wink. <laughs> and once, you know, she was Amy Winehouse of international fame, he's like, hey, that girl that you used to come here with. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> now to this day when I walk in I, I get whatever table I want <laughs> like, hey used to bring tell them tell who used to come here she used to come here it's a big deal but Garcia's is one of the things that made me move to Miami it was just like you know wow I can be out here in November sitting on the river in the afternoon eating the fresh fish that was just caught off a boat mm. oh why am I in the cold again <laughs> um, nah. so, Salam a lot of people now uh, are going back to catalog music and listening to certain records for comfort to get them through these times. Are there any uh, albums or specific records that you have on repeat right now? Um, hmm, that's a good one. I mean, in general, my life is old school and on repeat. You know, I keep Marvin Gaye. Uh, Dennis Brown, mm. uh, Donny Hathaway, music near me all the time. Sometimes I go to James Cleveland, the Clark Sisters on the gospel side. Mm-hmm. I keep these things that, you know, I'm trying to make my Aunt Esther's potato salad and my grandmother's candy jams. Mm. Like, you know, whatever is comfort food and yeah. takes me back to that place is there. Um, and then now I'm actually just been writing a lot of music that's taking me there. Because normally what I do um, is I've been living in Miami where it's kind of like New York springtime all year round for mm-hmm. the most part. So then I wait until the first day of spring and then I show up with new music and that's where Come Through and Chill comes from. Mm. And that's where, you know, the energy of All I Want Is You is that mm. first spring day when people get to go out to the village and they don't have to wear their jacket and it's like, hey, <laughs> it's new love. It's A. Marie season as I tell her all yeah. the time. <laughs> as soon as A. Marie season starts, it's why don't we fall in love? So I was excited and I was looking, I was like, hey, I'm going to New York with some new wait a minute let me take a look here and let me wait and then i pump faked it but i'm just i'm actually trying to create music that just feels like all the classic energies that i want to get you know the heartbeats the uh, baby i'm scared of you womack and womack you know mm. a lot of times on my instagram i'm posting music 98 percent of the time um and it's really just to remind myself that there's 30 seconds that can totally change your mood absolutely and when you hear the right song for 30 seconds it totally change your mood well those are the songs that i aspire to make and that you know us as creators should be inspiring to make because just like if you see a headline it's going to make you smile or frown and then you're going to want to read the story yeah well, yeah if you get a little bit of a song that intro hits you and then you now want to do a spin it can totally change your day and a lot of times people hit me like hey, you know what? No, that song you posted actually got me in my feelings. And it's like, well, great. But that's how the music was supposed to make us feel. Like yeah. It was supposed to give us something. And, you know, to get through these tough times, definitely, you know, you know club quarantine was a big thing as yeah. far as D. You know, the way I saw it was authentically just saying, you know, I'm going to play some music. All I do is play music. I'm in L.A. by myself. Let me just play some music. Yeah. And then people tapped into it like, wait a minute, this is what I want to hear. This is what I wish I could do. But also, you know, it's a time when, like I said, the, the greats, you know, the what's going on is going to get made now. The other things mm. that actually touch your soul and, you know, the voices that actually resonate. I'm looking for those things to be coming out of this and to help us through the rest of the year. Because this month is one thing. This year is going to be something else. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Salam, this has been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to doing like a full episode of our podcast with you. Um, and, you know, when we're allowed to travel and we're allowed to go and have people over to our apartment. Um, sure. But this has been awesome and uh, we love you. Uh, we're going to be checking in on you. And, yeah. uh, and be well in the meantime. Well, thank you. I'll be hiding away. And, you know, I, I've been saying as a joke, not a joke. I wonder if 90% of the people know that they'll never see me again. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I'll be on the phone and I'll be FaceTiming you from whatever dessert remote island I can find <laughs> to barbecue on. But um, I'll send pics. All right, Tom. <laughs> so. right, right, cool. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Jeff, let's now get on the phone with Marlon Craft. Beep, 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 boop, boop, boop. Yo, yo. Marlon! What's good? What's good? What's, what's going on? What's happening? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm holding up. You know, how are you guys doing? How we're doing we're doing all right. Thank you very much. You know, uh, you've been uh, pretty out there about how you've suffered through anxiety uh, throughout your life. How are yeah. you approaching and living through these particularly unique times? Man, it's like I, I it's like one day at a time, you know, is the only way to really do it. And that's what I'm I'm learning and trying to work on. It's it's whenever I kind of like look at the big picture of it and how long things might be or whatever it is it gets overwhelming so i'm trying to like find myself in like a little routine and kind of lose myself in each day and uh, not think too too big picture you know what i mean which is a luxury because i don't have kids or anything so i can do shit like that but um it's tough man no for sure and i think i think anybody uh who you know day in and day out sees the news or or thinks about the fact that like you know, uh, it becomes stay at home until the 30th or the 15th or the next month. It it could be a lot. And sometimes you just need to do, you know, what you can and figure out that you can only control what you can control and be in the moment. Yep. Yep. And I think like, you know, I'm trying to use it as an opportunity. I mean, it's hard because (laughs) the things that always help with my anxiety are like getting outside, getting a lot of like sun and then engaging with other people a lot. (laughs) And I can't do any of those things, but I'm trying to like work on, um, you know, like just even the things that I'm not spending a lot of money on food. So I finally like copped up on like the headspace meditation app for like the annual. Oh, dope. Shit. dope. So I'm like, so I'm like diving into that and trying to get my meditation on. And then I'm, I'm just, I'm just diving full, full throttle into this art and this music and this content and just trying to like, let that be my, my outlet. Like it's always been and, and kind of try to be there for people at this time too. Like I make that connection through music with a lot of my fans and people that listen to me. So I feel like now is the time, if anything, to to saturate a little bit more and try to be mindful of the times for people and give people something to listen to, you know? Yeah, by the way, um, the, the guy who does the Headspace app, he was on Instagram Live with John Legend uh, in the beginning of uh, quarantine. quarantine. Yeah. And uh-huh. it's very weird to see a face <laughs> with that yeah. dude's voice. Like it, it totally like threw me off. I was like, oh, like there's a real person, not just like a, an animation. Oh, it's the dude who who's like the voice on the app. It's that yeah. guy. Yeah, like it, but oh. like he's also like the guy. Like he owns the app and it's his voice, and he's the Yo, most calming person. That's so fire. I don't know if I would like prefer to see him or prefer to imagine him as this non-human actor that just speaks to me like calmly like, like i don't know if it would like break the wall like you know what i'm saying oh, it'd be sure. too weird it's it's imagine him like at the grocery store <laughs> like yeah. the, 
it would totally break me out of whatever I was trying to do. Just right. hearing this dude's voice, just being like, "I would like some yogurt." <laughs> yeah, I was gonna be like, "Can I?" have changed for 20 <laughs> um marlon uh we've seen you throughout the years uh and and seen what you've cultivated with your supporters whether that's like the live from the hell's kitchen series whether it's selling out sobs uh whether it's doing an album release with uh, halal guys on 53rd uh how do you approach work these days and and how do you stay in touch like in, in active touch with the fan base that you can't necessarily see in person yeah, man. So we've just been trying to do everything that, that we can. And I've always been a believer in, you know, cultivating smaller groups. Like we always want to make the the biggest audience that we can and get everything out to the biggest audience that we can. But I just remember like when I was coming up before I even got a real following of my own, I remember like the rollout for the J. Cole Forest Hills Drive album yeah. in 2014. And I remember when he was like driving around to like different diehard fans' cribs and like letting them hear the music first. Yep. Um, and I always just thought that that was really powerful because he couldn't do that for everybody, but everybody that followed that really was like a devout fan knew that that could have been them. And so it kind of like, it, it kind of was plural and it's like in its singularity. So I've been, I've been trying to do like, the big outreaches and the lives and whatever, but I've been doing these weekly happy hours where we pick fans like out of this, you know, like a uh, contact list that we have of the diehard fans. And we pick like 30, 40 fans and do these zoom sessions with just me and those fans, every different fans every week and doing like, I've been playing them just new shit and talking to them and, and, and taking questions and just chopping it up. Um, so, you know, and then just trying to be there on the content side, like I dove in and made a whole new, uh, EP that is you know like catered to this context and I'm trying to get this out, get it out for people as fast as possible so oh, super dope. I th- yeah so just like trying to trying to I, I like you know in the first couple of weeks it was weird it's like everyone was like all right streaming is down like all the industry talk was like you know streaming is down and bigger artists are looking like they might wait stuff out blah 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 and to me I was just like man like nah like this is when yeah you at least flood the, the market yeah yeah the type of music that i make i just feel like it's the responsibility of the artist you know it's like are we are we artists or are we uh sound uh manufacturers you know what i'm saying yeah like you know so like I'm i fuck with that by the way art. yeah I, I feel like i'm a sound manufacturer <laughs> <laughs> i think that nah. i think that these times now you know you get a lot of uh you know, hope with with the fact that artists can use their voice in a in a certain way and provide something that will you know be a measure of calm for people or an understanding for people who may not be able to uh, you know uh, necessarily do that themselves. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it's 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 kind of like reaffirming in some ways uh, to the role of the artist in society because I think a lot of the times, you know, we don't. You know, there's not a lot of money in music until there's a lot of money in music, right. and especially when you want to do it the way that I, I've tried to do it, and and with a focus on like authenticity and like making authentic real shit. And it's kind of like it's reaffirming that yo, at this time where like I still have value, like the invaluable nature of what we do is like being highlighted right now in the sense that a lot of times it feels undervalued because of how it's kind of invaluable but now now it's it's like clear that it's like yo i still have concrete value like i can't be fired 
And in fact, people still really want my like to hear what I contribute. So, you know, in some in whatever small way, um, it's affirming that, you know, we as artists contribute something intangible to people. And to me, it makes me want to try to produce more and not less. You know what I mean? Do you ever like maybe in a moment early on think to yourself like, oh, my God, I don't know my value or I don't know where art stands when there's like death out there or when there's like you know a sort of reshuffling of of what matters do you ever think about that does that strike you as an artist yeah yeah like in the beginning so like we had the the mom's whiskey song with code of the friend right and it was like slated to release and everything and i was very very i mean we had a whole project that we pushed back so like that that song was supposed to be the first drop of this eight song ep um that we were really excited about I me mean, i had like playing pad on it and wow. no mind on it and all these people and and uh as well as most my my regular people that i work with and and it was it was like immediately we were after a week or two we were just i was just like yo we have to push this back because this is not this the temperature and the mood of this project is not fitting of the times yeah and it's just not appropriate to be like in kind of triumphant um salesman mode a little bit with a rollout when doing this is what's what's going on and even with that song i was like particularly i remember i like asked the fans i was like do you guys want this song because it was weird waters it's like you don't want to be at the same time as i realized the value that i have it's also like you know people like you said people are dying like i'm not on the i'm not an essential worker right. you know what i'm saying like it's like the it's like there's this weird disconnect with art. It's like For sure. how much value really is there. So, so, but it seemed, but overwhelmingly what I heard from, you know, people like the supporters were just like, yo, we want music. Oh, for you sure. Know, that's what we want. So I was like, you know, all right, cool. Let me, let me go something that makes something, make a project that feels like right now. And not in the sense that like all the lyrics are all like, we in the quarantine, right, bad right, board, right. Uh, <laughs> but just like the mood, the vibe, the temperature, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, you are someone who has grown up in New York. You have, you know, I mean, like, what's something that as the world is changing around us and we see that, like, New York is going to be so completely different in the future, what's, like, the most, like, granular, small thing that you think that you'll miss from uh, the pre-COVID world? Man, yo, it's hard. it's hard to say because... I just don't know like what it's going to look like, you know, but it's funny because I mean, I was having this conversation a couple of times the past few days. Like, I don't know what New York is going to look like because culture was already kind of dying. Yeah. Culture in general and like mom and pop business was already dying in New York. And this is kind of probably just escalated that like 20 years ahead. You know what I mean? It's like. It's just like, I wonder what it's going to look like. Is it going to be just completely vapid of culture and corporate because the only people that are going to be able to reopen businesses are like have corporate money? Or is it going to be like a lot of people that gentrified and moved in are going to move out to the suburbs now because New York is more of a hotspot and there's going to be like this cultural renaissance because in this climate of like trauma and distress is going to be like the original people that are here are going to be so I'm, I'm interested to see and frankly like hopefully maybe be a part of the latter but I, I it's just hard to say I, but what I, I mean I'm just, I just miss like the energy of New York and people and like being outside on a simple level man like yeah. you know 
Well, by the way, so like, you know, like you were just saying, I actually feel more optimistic, you know, to the to the second point that you made. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people are going to move out. I think a lot of companies are going to move elsewhere. I think a lot of the money that was here for the um, the Bloomberg and even Giuliani years is going to disappear. And so yeah. we're going to see this sort of maybe bombed out return to quote unquote authentic New York. And, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen. I think that that is just like an interesting time. Well, I, and I had I had a discussion with our mom, I think yesterday she she read a piece in the, in the Times about how, uh, you know, it was going to take a, a long time to get back to quote unquote normal. Right. Like, who knows what the new normal is going to be? But our mom was was like, you know, the, the New York that she loves in terms of like museums or ballet or, you know, culture for her is is not going to return back necessarily in the way it was. But what I said to her was, you know, the dancers are not going to go anywhere. They just have to adapt and present it in a new way. And I think if you look at, you know, hip hop and how it was born out of literally the Bronx is burning, you know, and out of necessity, there was culture and art created. I think that serves as a hopefully a model for what we can do moving forward. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's funny, like, it's like the game is kind of like half style and half substance. And now a lot of the style is being removed in the sense of like the playing field's a little bit even people, first of all, they want substance, but second of all, if you're not substantive or innovative, creative in your form or, or in your business for that matter, then like, you're not going to be able like, like even with shows, right? Like the dancers in the ballet, but with shows, it's like, when shows start happening again, who knows when? Right. They're not going to be mosh pit, like, whatever. It's going to be, like, spread out. Like, let's go catch this vibe and actually listen to the music. You know, like, how many performers are ready for that model? Oh, yeah. Well, that, but that's the, that's the crazy thing, though, right? Because it's just, like, if you're not interacting with the music in, like, a real physical way, then are you really interacting with it? Right. And, and I mean, I, to me... It's like what I where I go with it is, I mean, it's just gonna be it's just gonna be different, not necessarily better or worse. But I've been to so many shitty rap shows where we all know it's like yo, it's not about what's actually happening on the stage or what it sounds like. It's about the energy in the room, yeah. Right? You know, and I, I I feel like you know, but I, I like personally, my favorite ones are the, the combination of both. And I've always tried, like I always play with a live band in New York, and I've always tried to cultivate that type of thing. I, I feel like equipped to do a show in any setting where if it's like, okay, I get the band and I could just play it for you and we could be spread out, you know what I mean? And it could sound, and we could have this vibe. Um, but I know when the, when the, when the song with the 808s comes, there's no like, all right, ready, one, two, three, <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? I, it's, it's going to be, it's all going to, it's like all about adaptability, you know, as, as an artist and I guess as a business, as a business too. But, but I'm with you in that. Like, I think, there's some hopefulness to i mean this you know we're in the world of art and i and i feel like the best moments for creatives in american history have always come out of turmoil for sure marlon when did you personally figure out and realize that your voice had power that's a great question um i think it's gradual you know um but huh, I think 
I think, you know, when you start getting those messages from people, like, early on, um, that are, like, even when, like, before I had, like, a ton of fans, um, or I was, you know, those messages that are, like, yo, this song really, really helped me get through this tough time, or, like, I'm going through this in my life, and this song helped me, or this song saved my life, and blah, 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 I was gonna do this. I think that's when you really start to see, start to feel that shit. Um, because for some reason it's like, I don't know, we, I feel like the micro is more digestible for us a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So it's, so it's kind of like when someone's personally just like, bro, I needed this to get over this. And it's like, damn, this shit matters. You know what I mean? What I say to a lot of people. And, um, yeah, I think, and I think both can be true. You know, I think as artists, what's tricky is we don't always like we're asked to kind of ignore a lot of shit because it's cool and that's okay and there's room for stuff and i like all different types of music and i grew on i'm not with like everything being some jolly informative rap session like this is art right you know but but at the same time it's like we can't act like when a kid says yo this song saved my life because it made me think about this this and that differently there's always balance in life absolutely so the opposite the opposite can be true like when we're we're telling kids do this do that you know feel like this feel like that you know it this, it goes both ways so it, it made me think about that power in the sense of yo if 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 this can affect people positively and so where i kind of land with that is because you can't get into like this overthinking of uh, everything i do and i have to sanitize myself but for me it's like it better be true. And that's kind of like my whole vibe with all artists in general is like, yo, it better be true, man. Like if you're talking about killing people and doing whatever you're doing, man, like if I, if I believe you, then it's art, bro. And that shit can be beautiful. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. that shit comes at a cost. So if it's not true, then don't put, don't put inauthentic toxicity out into the world, you know? Yeah. I feel like, um, I, I just want to say like how happy I am to be having this conversation, especially like, we're pairing this with uh, our conversation with Salam Remy, mm-hmm. and mm. it really hits on some of the same notes. Where you're, you know, you you want art that means something as opposed to commercial or commercialized um, sort of like nothingness. You know, like I, I think that it it it's it gives me sort of hope for like you know what comes out of this. Yeah, I do want to say though, I had one more question, and it is a little bit commercial. That's so, fine. So pardon that, but. <laughs> No, nah, all good. Listen, when when you did flex and when you did sway, um, that's not commercial. Well, I, by <laughs> definition, it sort of is. You I know, mean, sure. But yeah. uh, when you, when you did both of those, uh, were you nervous beforehand? And uh, what was it like in the moment? Yeah. Um, first of all, Salam Remy is a legend. I'm very uh, flattered and humbled, and that's fire. Um, second of all, uh, yeah, man, I was I was nervous as hell i'm nervous as hell for just about any performative like thing yeah um until i get into a rhythm you know like on tour a few shows in then it starts to be like the amount of time of nervousness before each thing gets shorter so it's like yeah, yeah. today i was only nervous for 10 minutes before i went on did i right but um i i was i was i was od nervous but you know what's funny so it's kind of different for both so on sway when i went on sway and and had to the five fingers and everything my whole career, and I, I'd been on Sway once before as part of like a cipher. Yep, I'd yep, I remember that stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I was used to this role of like, I roll, like, who the fuck are you? What are you about to do? 
you know, and then prove everybody, you know, wrong yep. type of thing. Really for my whole life. Yeah. That was the first time that I walked in a room and as soon as I came in the room, we we're off air and Sway comes to me. He's like, yo, your album like is incredible, sir. Like this is an amazing, like you did a great job. And he starts like quoting lines from like deep cuts on the album and like, and I'm like, could tell he really listened to it. And I have such reverence for him. I was just like, yo, and the whole the whole interview was just like they were just really fucking with me and showing me so much love. And so when the freestyle came, I was like, I was actually mad nervous because I had gotten used to that energy, that underdog <laughs> energy. And that like that like, yo, you up, don't let us down. Yeah, right. Energy yeah. is the different energy, yo. <laughs> like that shit is like very I was like, yo, I hope I don't let y'all down. Like I almost said it out loud. Like I was like, damn. So, so, so that was, you know, that was that the flex thing. Um, I was mostly just mad nervous because I was waiting forever. Like we got there, like I, I try to break the rapper stigma and like, I'd be like, <laughs> show, I'd be showing up on time. For right. shit. And, uh, they had, uh, who was there? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember his name right now. He's like a, a battle rap guy from Jersey. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal. Was oh there. yeah, oh. yeah. Mm -hmm. And and he w he went before me. So, but I we were there from like I don't know. We were there for like three hours. Like we're just waiting. So Jeez. I started to get kind of kind of nervous. But yeah, then you're I like got iced out. Yeah, and I was so tired though. The thing is, you can only be nervous for so long, and then you're just like dead. Yeah, yeah. So I I kind of was like, but and it was like three in the morning. So by the time I it kind of worked because by the time I went to rap, I was like. Yeah, I'm not even nervous no more. Like, let's just get this shit over. <laughs> but when he you starts know? like growling in your ear, does that does that throw you off at all? Or? Nah, man. Like, yo, the thing is with those, like my my performance thing, to because I always had anxiety, so I always was like, yo, my whole thing was I'm gonna practice this so many times that no matter what happens or how nervous I get, I know I'm gonna like it's gonna be like muscle memory. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know. So I had I had practiced that so many times, and I'd been wanting to be on those shows for years. For sure. I'd gone gone through the whole salty underground rapper phase of being like, why don't they let me on the platform? And so I had just decided, like, yo, if they're giving me time, that, that that's what they're giving me. So I'm gonna just be over prepared. And I actually had a whole other uh, like two and a half minutes on the flex verse that I was gonna do over a trap beat because I had wanted to switch up beats because I saw the Corday shit. Yeah, and I was like, "Yo, I'm trying to outdo whatever everybody's saying is the best." So I was trying to go in and out of a trap tempo, and um, and Flex was wasn't having it. He was just like, "Nah, you can only do one beat." And I was like, "Can I just do two? Because I want to switch." And he was like, "Nah." So, but um, but yeah, I had some more. I Man, more. well, I listen. mean, if you want to do it right now, <laughs> <laughs> yo, Marlon, before we let you go, uh, what can you give us any information, the name or or when your EP is coming out, anything about it? Yeah, so it's called Work From Home, um, and uh, I hope nobody steals that shit <laughs> before, I put it, before I get it in the system. Right, but, right. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be called Work From Home. Basically, like, me and uh, my producer that I've been working with for years, his name's Arbus Beats, he lives in Sweden, wow. and I actually met him from searching Joey Badass-type beat into YouTube <laughs> in life, like five years ago, and I just reached out to him. And we That's flew dope. him out to work on Funhouse Mirror. Um, and he, me and him, like, so we kind of been working from home from a long, for a long time, obviously. And we, when this happened, he had, we had had some joints in the cut. And then I was just like, yo, send me beats, bro. I'm just, I'm just, I'm locked in the crib. 
and we just were working, 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 and and he produced the whole thing. And so I, I've been sending sessions around. Though. I got other people playing on it. I got sax like i got sax on it because i sent it to my boy and he's at his crib recording sax stems sending them back that's dope and like you know shit like that so everyone's like just sending stems all around um and yeah it's, it's gonna come out hopefully you know in the next like four to six weeks i'm trying to i'm trying to push it out um so people can have it and then we're, we're gonna do this uh this work week thing um in conjunction with that kind of leading up to that which is um you know my my hours organization which is kind of like the community engagement brand extension of of me and, and what I try to do with the fans is uh you know we had done uh this nonprofit collaboration last year where we got a grant and contributed and did these three events we're going to do a digital one this year where we're going to be donating uh $8,000 um to relief efforts and it's probably going to go towards uh, the equipment for nurses stuff and we're trying to get that matched and exceeded by brands and then we're going to be doing all these online events and then we're also going to be collecting doing like a fundraiser but sort of for art so we're trying to we're trying to get awesome. a number of 365 pieces of art whether it be like you know a painting a drawing a verse whatever it is with the goal being that like you know art has value in these times we need that to help us get through and hopefully we'll have enough to post one a day for the next year um very very through. awesome yeah, so that's so that so that's all coming up. Hopefully, in the next four to six weeks, all of that you know that's trying to rush as fast. As yeah, can. I mean, like, well, I appreciate you, uh, you know, raising funds for art and, and artists. I also appreciate you, um, you know, bigging up uh, sound manufacturers. That's right, um, sound <laughs> manufacturing. That's how we move forward. Listen, uh, stay true, stay uh, stay creative out there, stay safe, and uh, Marlon, we'll look forward to everything you got coming down the pipeline. All right. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for having me. And now, Jeff, let's call up to Toronto, Canada and get on the phone with Director X. Bing bong. Do you think people... Sorry, hold on. Let me pause that. Do you think people realize... Have they have they seen the uh, the change in, in ringtone yet? I think it's because he's in Canada. <laughs> yeah, it's different. <laughs> it's a different one. Sorry, let me try it again. Jeff, uh, let's get on the phone now with Director X. Bing bong. 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 <laughs> X, what up? What's up? What's happening? How are you? Uh, you know, just uh, just watching Netflix through the apocalypse, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, uh, I think that's sort of the attitude we all have to have, where it's just like, listen, something's happening outside, we just have to stay inside. Yeah. Have you gone through everything in Netflix and sort of, like, moved on to Hulu and Amazon and just, like, are you struggling to find anything that captures your interest for, like, more than an hour? Um, no, I've been catching up. Like, you know, I can use the excuse that I need to be up to date on television. Right. <laughs> uh, because of my job. So I've been catching up on a bunch of series that I should have watched a while ago. You know, I feel, I feel betrayed by television, honestly, because I thought we should have, we're all going to be outside, like fighting for cans of food and, you know, siphoning gas from one another. And instead we're all just at home. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. On Instagram. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, none of us are like, you know, uh, in the alleyways heating up cans of beans. It's not. I. It's it's not. I am legend yet. You know. Yet. Um, yet. Wait. So, X. Yeah. What is the big blind spot that you have, like, in terms of your TV catalog that you've like taken the time now to catch up on? Uh, actually, lots. I, I did. Uh, I did the Outsider. I did a lot of the ones that I started with and then lost. So the Outsider, I, I started with and lost track yep. of. Yep. Um, Narco season two, Mexico. I yep. was able to do that. I got caught up on that. Um, 
you know what? I actually I did Westworld. I, Westworld was always those ones I heard about. And I knew nerds were really into. Same I here. Said, uh, yeah, and but I never got in. And I I did all I did all the seasons. So okay, wait, all, wait, yeah, hold on, hold on. So what is the verdict? Because what we see again, neither of us have watched anything about Westworld. Don't really know anything about Westworld, but know that it's popular. The internet yeah. said that season one is excellent, and everything past it, not so much. But then we've also heard people who are like, you have to watch every single episode, and you have to like read my my fan blog and my <laughs> fan fiction and everything. So like, right, you know, right, where, right. where do you fall? Season one is really good. They ask some really, it gets, it gets interesting. Season two, I can understand why people got a little disappointed about it. And season three is definitely getting, now that they're actually in the future, what I find interesting about season three, because a lot of science fiction, they avoid real life. Like that's why so many, I don't know if they know they're doing it, but by setting a lot of science fiction is like in military settings, mm-hmm. right? So, which makes it so oh, okay. It's a general and a captain, and a, like the military is not going to change, right? Probably ever, right? So they, they get to avoid what's it like going out to get coffee, right? In the future, <laughs> what's what's a day, you know what I mean? Like just what is everyday life like in the future? And this one, they're dealing with that a lot more. You know what I mean? It's a little more like okay. Just everyday life in the future, which I which I find like on my nerd nerd nerd, yeah, I find interesting. Well, and by um, the way, I've gone without coffee for the last forty days, which has been just oh. not like you know giving it up for Lent or something like that, obviously. But it's just <laughs> because uh, I just don't have that chance to walk across the street and go to a Dunkin' Donuts or something like that to have that human connection every morning. So you're saying that Westworld is avoiding the reality of today by having <laughs> people drink coffee. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, I'm saying by people going outside they completely got it all wrong <laughs> don't you know the future is us never leaving our homes again do you know it's, what it's scary it's scary bro i just heard that two cats got it yeah, yeah. You must have heard that one. we saw that like, yesterday as well can, if the cats got can get the virus i don't know how we get out of this bro but also like what crazy. symptoms were the cats having mm. <laughs> <Made> <laughs> them take it in yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> x uh you know what we started off the quarantine watching and this is probably not the best idea but we watched Chernobyl on HBO, which oh, wow. which we were like, yeah, let's let's get like as dark as possible <laughs> when we're just sitting inside. <laughs> but but man, I mean, a phenomenal series, but very very heavy. Yeah, but now I'm like you know, chasing that me, darkness. I gotta watch that. I'm gonna put the, I'm gonna put that on my list. <laughs> you should. That's when I had forgotten. That's when I had forgotten I hadn't watched it. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna do that. Can I just That's say next. like I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 um have you been have you been uh thinking about what the future holds in terms of like film sets in the next like six months because this is something we think about a lot you know you're not going to have a lot of people congregating near each other what is you know a film set going to be is it going to be like very very skeletal is it going to be like all green screen yeah like, is what? it a lot of animation moving forward where are we at I really don't know. I'm getting calls now and people are trying to figure out how to shoot new content, you know, kind of remotely. Is that us? You know, <laughs> <laughs> are these phone calls no, no, I mean, like, <laughs> Just real, like, you know, can we get a camera in there? Can we get a cameraman? Like, it's not easy trying yeah. to figure this out. If you want to do the quality and it's, um, it's going to be a minute. It's going to be a minute to where I don't know. This is really crazy stuff. This is really crazy. What is the the shortest amount of time that someone has given you to prep for either a music video or or a TV episode or a film? Oh, a music video. I mean, I've shot in things like 
like the next day. It's just I've done music videos are the, the breeding ground for insane <laughs> requests. So you know, it, it's stuff like that. But uh, like I did a two chains video. My two chains video I did with Drake. Yep. Our call time. Our call time was five o'clock in the afternoon because I had to spend the morning actually getting the crew. Jesus. Right. So where'd you shoot yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. In LA somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it was madness. But we we, we had like tw- uh, twenty four hour, maybe twenty six hours to prep that job. So insane, insane thing. But. I mean, like I said, music business, we always do insane. But do you even like walk in, like when they, when they approach you and they're like, Hey, like we have two chains, we have Drake. Do you come in there with ideas or is it just like, just get the crew and then figure it out on the spot? No, you got to have a concept. You got to have a, you have to have a treatment that you're going to be working with. I don't know if you've seen a lot of music videos. Some of them do not have (laughs) concepts. (laughs) Yeah, I know a lot of them are, I know a lot of them are not, are not up to, up to, up to par, but, um, (laughs) Um, you know, ex. Last week, you. last week we spoke with your great friend uh, Tanisha Scott, and she, you know, is is just a very special soul and a great person. What do you think is is the key to your guys' creative success um, over the last, you know, twenty years? Um, I don't know. We speak the same language, coming from the same town. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of course, creativity just matches creativity as well. So we have that side of ourselves. And uh, I don't know, just some things connect, some things click, and we're we got that kind of kind of relationship. And what made you call her in the first place? Because she said that you know she felt like she was on one trajectory, and then you were like, "Hey, can you come and choreograph this video?" And she was like, "But I'm a dancer," and you're like, "Let's just do this." Yeah, I mean, uh, some people don't think you know. I, I suffered from the same thing. I mean, when I was younger, like, oh, I don't know how to do that because I haven't done it. And someone else normally, sometimes someone else has to come along and say, what are you talking about? Just, just do it. Shut up. And, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things. You know, I, I've seen Drake's house now, uh, thanks to the, the Tusi Sly video. Um, I don't know how far away you live from him. Have you been to his house and have you stolen anything? Because he definitely wouldn't notice. <laughs> right. I've definitely been to the house. I haven't stolen anything, but I spent a lot of time trying to find, uh, I'm always trying to find the, 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 the secret entrance to the bat cave oh my god because um you know people in toronto don't talk about it much but there's been a crime fighter ever since drake uh, got got big there's been this guy fighting crime around town and um you know i'm, I'm, try- I'm trying to put the pieces together I'm pretty <laughs> I know, sure. by the way i know who it is <laughs> it's, it's obi it's, o'brien yeah. <laughs> I, mean, that's, I would love if x like spent his entire quarantine really trying to figure this out yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm so disappointed that no billionaire has actually gone the Bruce Wayne route. I'm, I'm like, because Jeff Bezos has definitely gone the Lex Luthor route. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, who who says I'm the richest man in the world? Let me do the Lex Luthor look. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just saw that he, uh, the the Whole Foods like cashiers are now wearing T-shirts that say "Hero" on the front and like uh, something else on the back, like. Um, like intense or something yeah and it's just like just pay them like they don't have to <laughs> they don't have to yeah. wear your dumb like you know words to make oh, them feel yeah. better I, yeah yeah it's 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 literally insane like when you really start digging into the crazy stuff that those guys do you're like wow wow they just sometimes i look at the things i'm like do you just want to be eaten are you do you want the people to rise up and chop your like what are you this yeah. must be part of the dream so do but, you uh, x do you do you like on you know, in a pre-COVID world, were you there for uh, those types of films where it is about the uprising and it is about people in the streets and, you know, sort of uh, uprisings and all of that? 
Yeah, look, I pay a lot of attention. So I thought that's where this was going to go. Um, especially like, you know, the yellow vest movement in France. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a massive uh, worker strike along the border in Mexico that no one reported on. But that was what was going on. Like there's a lot of um, the world was really bubbling over everywhere. And of course, you know, China, the, the demonstrations that they were having. Um, and, the, and these weren't little protests. I mean, like the yellow vest protest in France was a year long. Yeah. And, and very French, like, okay, during the week we work and on the weekend we ride. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like the, the coyote and the, and the roadrunner when they were punching that cartoon. <laughs> yeah. cartoon. Yep. They're punching for work. Yeah. But um, so I, I was expecting this, but God is the best writer. So I didn't, I didn't see global pandemic shutting down everything to really expose the lie, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So you're saying... Oh yeah, we can't afford to fix the water pipes in Flint. Oh my god! Pandemic comes along, we're like, "Hey, airlines!" Yeah, I just found like a a zillion dollars. Yeah, yeah, it was just like behind the couch. But (laughs) yeah, exactly. But there's always money. There's always money for them, and none, none for us, none for the people. Right. And now they can't. They can't continue the lie. And uh, I mean, and and even the bigger lie was, I'm I'm tired of even playing any of it. Like, oh, you can't print money because then that means that the money means. Oh yeah, it's all make believe, anyways. So yeah, well, so is status. Like, Like, all of it is dumb. Like, and then uh, I just saw that uh, the the global population of of poverty uh, of impoverished is going to double in the next like couple years or something, where it's going to be two hundred seventy five million dollars. Two hundred seventy five million people can't like find any food. Yeah, it's just. It's it's too much to comprehend, and and that idea that like money is meaningless is a big thing on on our minds and so many people here, you know. Yeah, because ultimately, like I, I do this example with my bud. Like, if you're playing uh, Monopoly, and I came over with Monopoly Two, and we just combined the money, we wouldn't break out our calculator and say, "Okay, well now that we have doubled the hundreds, that means the hundreds are not worth the hundred anymore. The hundreds are really worth." So we let's recalculate the print that we went to. We just say, "Okay, we just got a bunch more hundreds. We just yeah. got a bunch more fifties. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So if we so desire to say that about our economy, I know economists are like, you don't know anything. Shut up. <laughs> it, 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 the point is, it's all imaginary. And even the rules that we make about are imaginary. And that should not get in the way of people eating. Yeah. Oh, my God. Have you gotten to the point now where, like, updates on your phone are just not even shocking anymore? Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm always watching the news. You know, um, it's, it's hard. I get spent, especially since, so I went online. And I, and I made a video about herbal medicine. Like, hey, I, I take lots of herbs for my mm-hmm, skin and mm-hmm. I help my friends. So when things were getting crazy, I said, let me, I know a few things people might not know. I don't talk about it. But hey, made a little video and said, hey, you know, turmeric, there's a bunch of antiviral herbs. And then the the normies all came at me. Like, I just told people, like, just drink holy water and you'll be fine. Like, they just attacked <laughs> me. So, um, but ever since then, people are like, oh, you're with us. And now I just get tons of conspiracy theory videos. So I'm over, I'm not as much overloaded by real life things as much as I am by the conspiracy theories. Because there's just so many. Just every time I turn around, I don't know what I'm, it's, you know, it's a doctor saying that it's fake. And then it's a nurse saying that they're doing this. And then it's this guy saying that it's the, and that's the 5G. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Everybody's every, got a cousin I, that <laughs> was affected by the 5G towers and another cousin on the other side that uh, works, works in the, the Pentagon. Pentagon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, exactly. You know, I, exactly. I, I love that you've always attracted the crazies, uh, especially like on Instagram live. <laughs> you seem to have every single day, these arguments with, people who think the earth is flat <laughs> and you, it's like you trying to first. it's like you trying to educate people on like 50 years of or like you know 
millions of years of science, but just like, just the conversations that you have are just infuriating. And I don't understand how your blood pressure (laughs) has remained. Like you're so Zen and yet you have to deal with like idiots. Well, I know one, I like debating. So there's this, that part of it. Mm -hmm. I I like, I just enjoy the debate, but something I did realize in, in debating the flat earthers is what it, what it dawned on me was that the, those, those types like the flat earthers and the Illuminati guys, they're never interested in actual conspiracies that could get them in trouble. And it hit me one day, go, oh, wow, man, you're really into flat earth and like spreading the truth about uh, what's going on with the government. Can you link me to your <laughs> anti, um, uh, you know, pipeline, like your Dakota Access Pipeline page? Or maybe could you send me a link to your anti-drone strike page or maybe a link to your anti-wiretapping page? Because if you're so if you're on this flat earth, you must be all over like Black Lives Matter. <laughs> you must be there's somebody, right? And, go, oh, and the guy literally said, oh, other people do that. Yeah, I've got know, my own thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not doing that. And I, then I go, I call them out because you're not risking anything. Right, and and I and I start calling all them, all those conspiracy guys like don't confuse yourself with actual journalists who end up dead, yeah, who get thrown out of windows for exposing things. Don't compare yourself to what's going on in South America or the people who you know uh, the fact that they changed the law. That's so they you know eco terrorist is now a term, mm. but that now puts since terrorist is in there, so you're out you know uh, protesting a pipeline, and if they deem you an eco terrorist, you're a terrorist. That's nuts. And, yeah, so they don't need to. And remember, they uh, it was Obama who uh, repealed habeas corpus. Yeah, you don't need. You, you don't get a lawyer anymore. You don't get. You don't like all those those rights you thought you had don't exist if you're a terrorist. So you're out there fighting, you know, to keep your water clean, and then you're locked up for indefinitely. Like these are real risks, and people know it, which is why they get to have they get to have the fun, which is why I don't really go after flat earthers anymore. Um, because the flip side is true on me. I'm fighting flat earthers and avoiding having a larger fight. Mm-hmm. So, but that that's always the case. If you really want to shut up a conspiracy theory, it's like, oh man, wow, you're really about this. Tell me about the South American coup in Venezuela. What? what, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about Bolivia. You must really be concerned about the last election in Bolivia. Right. Uh, yeah, they have nothing to say. They don't know any, and those are the real conspiracy theories. Which is even the thing about this: when people are like, "Oh, this is all fake," and this obviously the, the pandemic is a thing, and they want to keep us inside. No, they're not. The, the oil—they're not making money on oil, and oil is what they start the wars for. Right. It's a real easy way to track what the conspiracy is. Is oil is do the oil people make money? No, then this ain't fake. Right. It's actually quite the opposite. I, oil is like you know worth nothing at this point. You know. They're they're paying you to store it. Right. Right. Which, by the way, would probably be a good business plan for Eric and myself. Like, if we just started hoarding oil <laughs> instead of doing this podcast, I think we'd make a lot more money. Yeah, exactly. Just waiting for the world to turn back on. Well, yeah. Yeah. X, let me ask you this. Do Okay, we, we understand that, that we see the trends and the, and the world has been getting... <laughs> Cra- not not crazier meaning like well I mean yes there there are a lot of crazies out there but I mean like it's been a lot more hectic right we can see that there's been uprisings people are getting involved people are really like not happy with the institutions all of that do you have a plan for yourself if things go wrong uh, bikes and tents and uh, northern Canada where there's water <laughs> and uh, well, yeah. a forest a forest you can relieve yourself in. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the most important thing that you have that we don't is access to Canada right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, getting getting to a place where you can live off the land, I guess. But uh, I don't I don't know. I don't think anything's safe. What I do know, do you remember the blackout? Or was it a decade ago now? In New York? Yeah, it was yeah. New York, Toronto got it. We all, we all got the whole East Coast got hit. Mm. Um, that's really, the eye-opening thing for me was we don't really need electricity. We'll, we'll figure everything out. The thing we need is the plumbing. If the plumbing goes, that's when we're. That's when it's over. That's when it's over. If we can't flush the toilets, forget it, bro. Leave the leave the city. Okay, so things things to watch out for: plumbing, mm-hmm. um, uh, oil, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we need oh, yeah. to, and we need to watch uh, Director X's Instagram Live. Got it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, understood. Yeah, well, I was going to exactly. say Chernobyl, but you know, <laughs> right? Totally. And waste management. Two things. I've been I've been in Toronto for the for the garbage strikes. Let me tell you, bro. The waste waste management is really what this whole thing. We we can we'll get along with everything else. We'll figure out how to eat. You don't really need. We don't need a lot of stuff. Human beings lived a long time without uh, electricity. Yeah, but we yeah, but did humans live a long trash. time without uh, snacks from uh, <laughs> from Whole Foods? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, X, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, Keep, keep going on Instagram Live. Keep fighting the good fight and uh, st- stay healthy up there. Uh, we'll be checking in with you and uh, and until then, be well, all right? All right, man. Appreciate you guys. Shout out to Director X. Shout out to Marlon Kraft and shout out to Salam Remy. Jeff, are we back tomorrow? We are back every day forever. As always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Brrrat.